Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Brought to you by Oppenheimer Funds, the right way to invest. Explore long-term opportunities at OppenheimerFunds.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to, I believe that this is episode 10. Episode 10, I believe. Sure. Episode episode 10 of Bloomberg Politics Podcast, The Culture Caucus. I'm John Heilman. And I am Will Leach. We're together. We are here in New York City for the second consecutive podcast where we're face-to-face. It makes me so happy to see you, Will. And you are looking fucking just smart today. Well, uh, you know, it's fine. I'm glad we're face-to-face because ordinarily, as you know, like Jim Morrison and Kurt Cobain at the start of their musical career, I would only do all podcasts facing the wall right. and not looking because the crowd makes me very nervous. Yeah, I know. So, But now I've, I've come out of my shell and I'm ready to talk on the podcast. Pe- people, you, but because you're listening to this and because of the nature of podcasts, which are not really a visual medium, you can't see what I see right now, which is Will Legion in a dark suit, a mm-hmm. white shirt, and a red rep tie. You look pretty much like... A young Ronald Reagan right now. You look, you look, <laughs> I get that a lot. Yeah, there's kind of like the, the, the GE days. This is kind of excellent. Okay. And I mentioned Ronald Reagan. It's just because I have hair. I feel, I, I feel like I get away with so much in the worlds of media and politics yes. and sports because I have hair. You have excellent hair, by the I way. Hair. You do have I excellent do. hair. Um, so Ronald Reagan, um, former president of the United States and also movie star. And it's mm-hmm. a kind of good, like not a totally made up segue into the topic of this 10th episode of the Culture Caucus because we're going to talk today about a movie. A movie that is, in fact... Opening today, mm-hmm. the day on which this podcast is posted is the opening day for this movie, and the movie is called Wiener. Let me say that again. The movie is called Wiener. It's not about. It's not the story of Oscar Mayer. Right. It's not the story of uh, the great all beef Frankfurters of Chicago. No, it's the story. It is of- also not about peepees. No, it's it's not about penises. That's true. Right. It isn't. Well, it sort of is. <laughs> actually, it is that kind is of about penises of all of this, yes. because it's actually the story of Anthony Wiener. Um, former congressman from uh, New York, where we are currently recording this podcast, and uh, candidate for mayor after a rather um, famous, infamous, everyone knows about it scandal that involved his Willie and mm-hmm. uh, in a pair of gray. Uh, underwear uh, texted <laughs> the to... fact that we all like the yes. minute you say you that the image, image goes into the brain it's, yes. it, it will happen forever you know about that uh, so you know oh, the guy named Wiener who had a scandal that related to his Wiener um, got you know had to resign from Congress and then decided to run for mayor here in New York City so the movie Wiener mm. is an account of that campaign and it is an is it, as we begin to discuss it. Well, we're going to talk about the movie itself. We're going to talk about the culture of scandal. We're going to talk about um, about Anthony Weiner just as a character. We're going to talk about Huma Abedin, who is Anthony Weiner's wife and obviously the closest uh, staff person in Hillary Clinton's orbit, um, has been for a long time and is right now on her presidential campaign. There's a lot to talk about about this movie, but I think the place to start with is just how good it is it is an incredible incredible movie and i want you to explain why it was incredible i know you had the same reaction as i did we did not see it together we really haven't talked about it apart from we both acknowledge that we think it's amazing it is terrific you know and you know i think generally when people talk about all access political documentaries the war room is usually the first one that comes to mind but imagine if the war room 
not only did they lose, but everything fell apart in the most public possible way. And one of the things that this movie is directed by uh, Josh Kriegman and Elise Steinberg. Kriegman actually worked for the campaign, so he has a, a level of access in this that is staggering. Like it reminded me a little bit. You know, we've, I, I've heard you. You've talk, we've talked about Mitt, the uh, the Mitt Romney right. documentary, which has a little bit of access. But this is imagine if. if Mitt's family was falling apart while he actually had this kind of access. The amount of stuff that's in this movie and the way that all the things it has to say very, very understatedly about not only how campaigns are run, but how media works and kind of megalomania and and families and marriages is the the number of things that they capture in this movie. And while also still having the holy shit, I can't believe that's on camera moments. And there's like a dozen of them right. in the movie. It's, it's pretty staggering. Right. So, so let me let me just say a couple things just to, to kind of – first of all, I probably should describe the movie a little bit. But let me say this first. This will be sound a little sacrilegious, right? The War Room is a great movie. It is. And, and it's, it's you know, Pennebaker and Hedges, and it's, it's great, and you watch it, and it's still an enjoyable thing to watch. But if you watched it next to this film – you would recognize, you would see the the, the, the seams of the war room. And the war room is actually a movie that Pennebaker didn't have that much access. He had very little access to the candidate. He had and the candidate and his spouse. It was really obviously all about James Carville and, and George Stephanopoulos and the war room, the, the right. staff. No diss to that. It's a great, compelling movie that gives you a sense of what it's like inside the campaign staff of a, a troubled, ultimately victorious, kind of amazing presidential candidate on the political level, but. It doesn't take you anywhere near inside the room with it's really it's not candidate centric at all. You know, I work on, as you know, this thing called the circus where we are much more candidate and spouse uh, focused and we try to get intimate moments with uh, with our candidates mm-hmm. and our, their spouses. And occasionally you get a moment that approaches somewhere near the vicinity of like 20 moments in this <laughs> right. movie. Right. Oh, yeah. For most documentarians, the a level of access that if you get one scene one brilliant, really revealing, really genuinely raw, human, intimate scene with a candidate and his spouse if you're doing a political documentary. Mm. That's your movie. Yeah. That's your set. That's the, oh my God, right. the holy shit moment. Right. This movie has, as I said, not kidding, it has 20 of them. Yeah. And there are, this and this is helpful to do the setup of the movie, Anthony Weiner has his scandal, decides- And that he, happens before the movie. Before the movie starts. Resigns Congress. And then as an an act of attempted political and personal redemption, decides to run for mayor of New York City, which is actually the job he's kind of always wanted. He suggests in the movie that part of the reason he was doing it was for his wife, Huma, who he says in the movie felt like getting on with their lives, running for office was part of what getting back to normal for them was get let's get back to our political ambitions. Let's move forward. So he runs for a notion that was very quickly disabused. Yes. (laughs) And and then everybody knows what happened. Right. There were more. Uh, naughty texts. There were more. There was more sexting. There was more pictures. There were uh, communications. There were, you know, n- again, no physical contact that we know right. of with any of these women that we know of, but multiple women, and they kept happening over the course yeah. of the campaign. So, just to say, it's a. It, it is as you said. It's a catastrophic campaign, right. and it's catastrophic in the sense that it's the the same sin now revisiting itself upon the family, the guy, as he's given it incredible access to his campaign videographer. And when I said that you see 20 scenes of extraordinary intimacy that, like, most documentarians would kill for one of, literally throughout the movie, every time something horrible happens, 
and Anthony Weiner and Huma Abedin are in a room together confronting the horror of what it means politically, personally, emotionally, spiritually. The camera's there in every instance. Every time. And you sit there and say, I cannot believe that I'm seeing this. Like, every door you want to be behind, this camera is behind that door. And it is, that is why, I mean, just at first blush, the first time you watch it, that's the first thing you say is, oh my God, they got everything that you as a voyeur, and let's just admit we're all voyeurs in this area, as a political voyeur, they got almost everything. There's twice when Anthony asked them to shut the door and walk out. One quite movingly, which I'd like to talk about. Right. But basically, it's like, Everything you would want, yeah. they deliver in terms of that level of, as I say, intimacy and in the room at the moment when you want to be in the room. And, you know, when you were watching, when we were watching this campaign, you know, the, the question that everybody had, there were two questions that I found myself asking when the campaign was going on. First off, why exactly is he putting himself through this? And also, what must it be like to see? Like, I feel uncomfortable knowing the sort of details that's going on in their marriage among my friends. Like, I don't want to know that about them. The idea that this all happened in public and they had, I remember at the end of the campaign, she stopped, you know, she stopped showing up at campaign events, the movie gets deep into that as to why. I remember watching at the time, being like, "Oh my God, she's not showing up to events. What must be going on right. in that marriage?" And this movie has all of that. And I think that is. I want to talk about her a, a lot because the irony of the fact that he wanted to get do this campaign for her, and, at least in part for her. Yes, at and least in part. Of course, her. I mean, obviously, he has right. his own, yes, his own yes, missions. But, yes, but he but he cites her as I said yeah. in the movie is you know the, again back to our normal lives yeah. and what our normal lives and they're meant, campaign animals. What, yes, yeah. our, what our normal lives right. are is Anthony's the most ambitious person on earth, and right. I will say just quickly, and we'll I'll let you talk again. I've known Anthony since I was twenty one years old. Um, we shared a beach house in Dewey Beach, Delaware my first summer out of college. So I've known Anthony Weir for a long time, and I say this without prejudice. He's just was what the, the, like, in a world where I know, I knew people who were, you know, um, Julius Janikowski, who would go on to be the head of Obama's FCC. Hmm. There was a, this Chuck Schumer staff, insanely yeah. ambitious people, right? Anthony was the most politically ambitious person I maybe have ever known, apart from a couple people who became president of the United States. <laughs> right. And so normal life for them was, let's get back to being ambitious and running for office again. And it's worth noting, too, that, you know, one of the reasons they got so much access was because I think they thought this campaign was going to go well. And at first it does. Like one of the great little quiet moments is for like the first 15 minutes, you can see what they were thinking by running. You could see, you know, the idea like this comeback story. New Yorkers love a comeback story. They love a they they, and, you know, and he was so he owned it in a lot of ways. You know, he wasn't evasive. He was willing. You know, one of these people, the things that people liked about him when he was a congressman is he took everything head on and he right. fought and he right. was he was willing to, to to face anything that's thrown at him and i think that's something that's consistent throughout the movie much to his detriment right. <laughs> well well and anthony is also just and one of the things the movie captures early on is his degree of what made him appealing as a politician part of it is what you just said will about him taking things head on his brashness his openness about his ambition but also his energy yeah. you know and you see him as a retail politician early in the movie working in the neighborhoods of New York City with great extraordinary oh. verbs. There's this wonderful scene where they showed De Bla- they hit him working I believe the uh, Puerto Rican Day Parade right. Or, or, and, right? and they show and he's just killing it and he's doing fantastic and they show a very sad de Blasio <laughs> just like, schlepping slow, down the street. Yeah, right. like, no one's looking at him and you see the energy and why he might have thought he was going to win. Well, and and then there's the moment where the, the a poll comes out early in the race that has him in first place and he's on the subway and there are people around him on the subway who are reading that's like 
yeah. head, headline news. Wiener's in the lead. And like the redemption is possible. And the people are looking up over their over their tabloids, the Daily News, the Post, looking up and seeing Anthony sitting there on the subway. And he's sitting there kind of going like, wow, this is like it. This <laughs> yeah. is the moment that I like this is what I thought I'm was on, gonna happen. I'm on the subway. And I'm I'm on the front runner again. What? <laughs> and you can also say too, and this leads into to me the most fascinating part of the movie, which is Huma. I feel like the access they have to her, you know, you can see too having, you know, she's obviously very close with Hillary Clinton. She had been through this kind of war before and knows certainly firsthand how, if you have an energetic candidate, if you have, if you have, you can this stuff can be overcome. Right. The ultimate the ultimate lesson, you know, of the of of her experience watching her. Matron, I guess you'd call her patron, whatever mm. Hillary Clinton, her kind of you know surrogate mother figure, and her husband, just always resilience. Yeah. You know, if you are resilient and you are brazen and you are resourceful and you are willing to stick it out, um, you can overcome almost anything. That's the lesson of the great lesson of, of Bill Clinton, right? Of his entire career. And, but it is a different world now. <laughs> it is, well, it is. It is. There, it is a different world, and and there are you know there are different the doubles. Yeah. There are yes, yes. It's a different world. And, and I don't mean so much judgmentally as no. much as these stories can eat you alive yes. in a way that they were able to fight off, particularly in New York. Right. Like the idea this is happening right. in New York City. It's the hot house culture. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, one of the key things is that, and you know, it's interesting that you know you think about there was Gary Hart. Right, where a sex scandal destroyed Gary Hart's presidential campaign in 1988. And mainly the thing that destroyed him, really, as much as anything, was the photograph of him and Donna Rice on the monkey business, right? Bill Clinton, there were doctored audio tapes, um, but there was no photographic evidence ever of anything. Of all the women we've ever talked about with Bill Clinton. To this day. To this day, there's no video. And what killed Anthony as much as anything, and this tells you about the power of pictures, is those pictures that we referred to before. And now in this world of social media and this world of text messaging and the world of selfies and the world of, right. of, of sexy selfies or disgusting selfies, whatever you want to call them, the, the, it's the image, right? Because if, yeah. if, it, if it's just words on the page or even voices, it's different from seeing a picture of a guy's wiener. Yeah, and particularly, too, he talks about this in the movie, about because one thing the movie gets a little bit into, but really kind of skirts about almost as, it just accepts it like air, <laughs> is that he, that he why he does this. Yeah. Like, why he sent those messages in the first place. He talks a little bit about how it felt like make-believe. Right. It didn't feel like real life right. in a lot of ways. You were just having, like, this virtual chat and right. so on. And the movie... Do, I find that kind of interesting, but what I find really interesting is their dynamic and yeah. the idea that she clearly has accepted and forgiven, at least as much as she can, this about him. But what she can't ultimately uh, forgive or at least accept, which I think we see throughout the movie, is when the second ones come through. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, and we see you – know, imagine – we talk about the Hillary thing. Imagine if someone – there had been documentary cameras there right. for – the day the Lewinsky stuff comes out, right. or the day, the, like, just imagine, like, what, right. like, that would be, they, they're, they're, they're here for this, right. and you see them because they're political animals, not only dealing with it in a personal manner, right. but also in a, like, how mixed their personal and political lives are to the point that I feel like for him he's better at it. Right. He's better at being able to separate personal and political whereas she or or mild them in a mild them together in a way that they're inextricable from one another whereas she you see it fray you see and to me the star of this movie is Huma Abedin's body language yeah. and throughout the movie you see her she tries so hard and, you know it's funny too because you know 
when she had that, when he has that one famous press conference, the one that's hastily put together that was live all across the country, right. and she she spoke, and that was one of the first times she'd really ever spoken on camera. First time she ever she says first time yeah. she'd ever done a press conference. She yeah, ever stood in front of a microphone, and she was poised, and she did well. Right. But like the idea, like this was gone by that point. Well, and, well, and and just to just to just to say, um, I don't want to stop you on your no. role, but you know. The, the moment before that press conference, there's a moment when they're in a, one of the offices at the campaign headquarters mm. where there is a shot of the two of them in silence. Yeah. And Anthony is in a chair and she is standing up and they have just received the word that 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 Sydney Leathers has mm. come back on that has come on the scene. This other girl, a woman from Indiana blogger who Anthony has had this some kind of inter, inter, interchange with. The, the, it is Ingmar Bergman. Yeah. You know, they are in silence for what feels like. An eternity. The shot goes on for a long time, and she, there is a, the, the amount of communication that is happening between the two of them in that room without a word being spoken. You talked about her body language, but his body yeah. language, and the just the oppressiveness of the silence and everything that you can see, her pain, her anger, her sadness, her sense of resignation, her sense of foreboding about what's to yeah. come. All of it is there without a word being spoken between the two of them. And it is, inc- again, I don't mean to sound like like I'm like giddy about it, but it's just a, a staggering thing to see. On, on it's, it's raw. It is as real as anything you could ever see in the realm of a political documentary. Eddie, you almost have to have this kind of environment for that to happen. You have to have him. You know, one of the things that's fascinating about him is whatever is going on, whether it's per- bad news politically or bad news personally, it all gets ground up into the churn of we're in a campaign. Crazy stuff happens. Let's keep plunging forward. Let's keep going. Let's keep going leading to this amazing scene where he is uh, with Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC where he is in a side studio yelling at him and, and getting in this big fight on television in a way that he thinks he just did awesome right. and she can't watch it. Right. And I, 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 Well, I'll, I'll say something about that in one second. We should mo- mention, by the way, yes. because we're already like, I don't know how far. How long are we into this podcast? 17 minutes. 17 minutes in and we haven't even teased the fact that we have Barbara Morgan, yes. who was uh, Anthony Weiner's uh, communications director. And is in the film. And the face, and is the third most you know prominent person yeah. in the movie. She's going to be talking to us in a second here on the podcast so we can explore some of that stuff with her. That scene, to me, the Lawrence O'Donnell thing, right. famous moment in the campaign, well into... Uh, where Anthony's clearly in a downward yeah, on a downward over, trajectory, right. it's all over. He goes on because he can't resist doing on doing television. He goes on the last word with Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC. Lawrence is in Washington. Anthony's here at Thirty Rock in New York City, so they're communicating over the satellite. Lawrence decides to basically stage a moment, yeah, you know, and starts hectoring. Anthony. That's not an interview. No, yeah. he he says, "What is wrong with you?" Right, he keeps right, asking right. that question. You could see Lawrence was going for a TV moment right. there. What is wrong with you? I, he keeps and he's trying to psychoanalyze him. He's basically saying something is wrong something is fucked in your head buddy and anthony parries and fights and is feisty and they argue and they go back and forth it's really a moment in which neither one of them come off well and it's just kind of and i remember watching it live like i remember when it happened right and i thought man both these guys are not coming off well in the documentary you then see in wiener the movie we're talking about you then see the next day anthony in his apartment or in the office i forget which but watching the interview over and over again he's on his computer, and he's giddy yeah. to use the word giddy again. He's he's thrilled with how I got him I with his him. performance. Yeah. Look, and he's watching it with this smile on his face, and watching it over and over. And she is standing to the left, yeah. looking at him, watching the interview over and over again. I think as horrified as in that is, moment, yeah. in that moment as she was by any of the actual no indiscretions, no all of which you know supposedly took place in the past. The timeline is still unclear yeah. about a lot of this, but. The, almost worse than the sexting yeah. it, what is 
seeing her husband revel in this kind of tawdry medium moment and she looks like just disgusted with him and he even acknowledges it he's like you know he can he says something in the about that noting that he's kind of this charges him up to see this performance and that she and that she obviously finds it kind of well, it's funny. Yuck, I think the actual, question, I think the the actual th- the question that's asked him is like, do you think she she loves this part of the things she loves about you? And he's like, actually, I think this is one of the things she loves in spite, of, <laughs> loves me in spite of. And I think that I, there's no question. And and I think one of the their marriage, which is still together, yeah, like they are yes, still married. They and, are indeed. And one of the things that is fascinating about that too is, you know, you see them as the campaign goes along. He's so kind of caught on it. You see her slowly start to recede. Yeah. yeah. And but it's a fascinating thing because she is also a political animal as well. Not for nothing, but she also starts to recede as it becomes a little bit more obvious that he's going to lose. Well, <laughs> and and there have been always been rumors about 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 Clinton, the Clinton campaign, the movie Clinton campaign being involved in that. The movie makes no claims to that and seems to have no. If there's access with everything else. I feel like they would have had access of that. Well, there's a couple, there's there. a couple moments in which Huma mentions that she's talking to Philippe, meaning Philippe right, Brinus, right. Um, you know, Hillary's one of Hillary's main. And he's on the phone know. a couple times. Yes, yeah. there's a few g- glancing allusions to the yeah. notion that. She is um, that that the campaign right. is out there, or the proto campaign, because there wasn't a campaign then. But right. that that Hillary Land exists right. and has views about what's going on, and has um, wants her to behave in certain ways, and wants him to behave in certain ways. It's it's alluded to. It's there. You can you feel right. it. It's it's said. There are, again, there they, it pops up, but it's not a central focus, and you don't and you never meet anybody from. But from, it, from certainly, that he part of the keeps world. trying to get her to be larger parts as yes. it goes along. Yes. There's a there's a very difficult scene where he is filming a campaign ad and he wants her to do it and yes. she's like do I look camera ready I'm not doing this right. and and the, he has this cutting devastating line as she leads the as as they're about to walk out to the flong of cameras all waiting for them just try, she's to, a, look, just try to look like you're my wife yeah he, he, well, he actually says he says make sure you leave 10 minutes after me otherwise people will get the illusion that you're my, my wife, wife right. and yes, right, it's right. like devastating well and, and and as are I mean I would say and I I, I say this just want to be explicit I'm, there is no tone of criticism in my voice when I say this about Huma but you know the the scenes in which, like on when he goes to vote on mm-hmm. election day and she does not accompany him, right. is just excruciating and painful. And no matter what you think about Anthony right. Weiner, and again, I understand why she didn't do it. Right. I have enormous sympathy for her in this situation. So I'm not second guessing her decision, but just as a fact of seeing him mm-hmm. push his son uh, in the stroller off to the to the polling place and have to make excuses for why she's not there is again one of the wrenching things in this movie is seeing you know that and he's done it to himself right yeah. it's his fault he's done it to himself and he is but, very self aware like oh, for a guy that very much for, so. for a guy that is kind of in his tunnel of running and and doesn't quite get really what's happening right. he's still very self aware right. and he's very he's not the the, the he's not delusional right Except for the fact that he thinks he's going to win, I think, as as it goes along. Right, but I'll take you to another scene, though, in this dynamic that I found incredibly compelling, which is as he's going to uh, an election night, uh, to an election night Mm. thing. I believe it's election night. And Sidney Leathers, the aforementioned, has come. She's in New York. She was on Howard Stern. She was on Howard Stern. And Stern has provoked her or has prodded her to go show up at this rally. And she shows up, and they the campaign knows that Sydney Leathers is at the rally. This is kind of a famous incident from the campaign, yeah. but people may or may not remember it. But Sydney Leathers appears, and so no one wants to get in the picture with Sydney yeah. Leathers, right? So they know where she is, and they figured out an alternative way for him to get in. They run going, through a McDonald's, running through a McDonald's <laughs> up some backstage. But here's the thing: as they're going there, you're in the car with Anthony and Huma, and 
Anthony's intention is Huma and he are going to go to this rally together. Not just and, that, but also it seems that like this was the one fi- like he was okay with her not doing anything else. Right. But when he conceded, right, he needed he her to wanted be there. Her to be there, right? And so they're in the car. She's going to go along with it. You can tell she's she's bracing for this being a, now a not just a not just a a depressing scene, but a scene where they're being stalked by this woman, and that it's going. He she's like, I will not. You know, I'm not going to allow myself my dignity to be right. dragged in the gutter and be seen with this woman. I'm not going to interact with her. Obviously, totally reasonable on Huma's part. But you're you're getting closer and closer to the event, and they're in the car. And then there's a moment where finally Anthony realizes what's obvious to anybody who's watching it, which is that this is a complete fucking shit show. That's the about fever to breaks, and he and he looks at her and says, "Don't get out of the car. Right. Don't 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 I don't. You know, yeah. a moment of you know a, a small moment of of." humanity and redemption in a way because you know he really wanted her to be there and he realized like no I can't do this this is so this is all so tawdry that I'm gonna turn to my wife who I really want to be here and say don't get out of this car yeah. I, I'll deal with this on my own and and and, it, and sprint through the McDonald's you right, know and, and like you know while I mean, she, while she chases him yeah. Sydney Leathers chases him through the yeah. McDonald's the McDonald's restaurant I mean unbelievable it really is an unbelievable thing and and so I'm curious you know Having watched it, and you know, we've described some some of the scenes. Do you feel like at the end of the movie, I it, they almost feel actually like a functional couple? Like certainly in the hot house of this kind of insanity, but there's still a respect between them. Right. I think there's still an unspoken yes. uh, bond between them that I think is real and. It's fascinating to me what happens next. First of all, what do you think happens with him now? Like what? Like is he? Do you think he's done? Yeah, yeah. He, he yeah. Think he I mean, I, I don't mean done as a functional member of society, right. but I mean, do I think as he has? A, a, do I think he has a political future? No. I, I do not. Right. I don't. And I because I look, Anthony is so tied to New York. He's um, you know, he's from here. He is so New York. I mean, right. he, he oozes New York out of his pores, and. I just don't imagine that they're given, especially given, as you pointed out rightly before, the very special and specially uh, 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 trying, taxing, relentless media culture in New York. I just don't imagine there's not a, a way in which you can imagine him. What's he going to run for here, right. given this history? You know, I just don't think that. I think, well, this is proof he can't. Right, 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 right. <laughs> right. Exa- exactly, exactly right. So I think you know. I mean, I think Anthony will have live a. Will, will, he's a very, very smart guy, yeah. and will have a have, will have a TV a, personality. A, a fine. We'll have a fine career uh, going forward, but I don't think that he has a political future going forward. Um, you know, the question that I wanted to ask you though um, is whether you know if you if you watch this movie. It, let's just say this: In addition to all of the access and all of the kind of startling degrees of intimacy and, and revelation and so forth, in terms of what you get to see in this movie, like the inside workings of a campaign, and I'll say that also, not just in terms of the marital issues, but just Anthony confronting, talking to the staff. I mean, actually, I think again, very admirable moment. There's a moment where Anthony sits down with his staff and basically says, in a very adult way. I know you might be pissed at me. Yeah. You were here to vent. Do you have questions? And do they you have do. Issues? Tell me what. Yeah. And you get to see him in a kind of very yeah. not in a you know. I thought again he steps up and basically yeah. says, "Come on, you know, bring it to me here. We'll talk this through." The, the inner workings of the campaign are also very vividly detailed. The, the staff, um, the communications challenges, all of the people that are around them, the various you know. It's a very it's a it's a fantastic look at the inner workings of a mayoral campaign in New York City. But here's my question. My question is, in Toto, if you watch this thing, do you feel like, do you, do you think that Anthony comes off well? 
Do you think he comes off poorly? Do you think he comes off some mixture? Like, what? What? Do you, what's your takeaway here for people? They think better or worse of him, or or what? And what? And the same question for Huma. Like, when you see this, is this what, what's what's the, the the portrait in full? I think that if you already think that he's just some scumbag of a person, as apparently a lot of people do, I don't think the movie will do anything to dissuade you of that fact. But I also think that the movie shows his fierce intelligence, show and shows him as. Like an ambitious but not completely heartless human being, right. and I and I think that it one of the things that I think the movie does a really good job of is showing why you can see that he was a good politician. You get a sense of the potential that's been thwarted right. because of this, because because right. without question, you see why people liked him, you see why he admired him, you see why he was uniquely talented in a lot of ways, and and the, again, the movie doesn't do a doesn't do a great job. I don't think it tries to do a great job of really getting into why would you send these pictures? What are you doing? Yeah, but. I don't think it needs to because right. I think that like it's really about more than and for her I I have to say she comes across she keeps her dignity yes. in this throughout yes. in a way that frankly would seem impossible. Right. I think that you know I, I and again I I've said as much to Anthony himself in an effort to get him to to come on this mm-hmm. podcast um, which he, uh, for obvious reasons, or at least for understandable reasons, has decided he's not going to see the movie, um, and he's not going to talk about the movie. And so that feels like I'm not, you know, he doesn't want to give it more publicity. He does not seem to me, I will say, you know, I, I just general characterize this conversation generally. Doesn't seem really angry. Doesn't seem bitter about it. Understands, you know, why people are interested in the movie, but. You know, has just a very basic, basic posture. It just doesn't want to bring more attention to it, so has decided he doesn't want to talk about it, and he's not going to see it. So I understand all that. But I've said to him, and I've said to everybody, I think it's not an unsympathetic portrait of him. I think no one could see this movie, and I think, I think, see this movie and think worse of him than they already do. That's absolutely true. You know, there will be many people who, as you said, there will be some people for whom it does nothing to, to, to make them like him more. But I don't think there's anything in it that makes you think, God, I thought he was horrible, and now I think he's X times more horrible. Without, that, I don't think I that's true at all. I agree. And I agree. I think one of the great puzzles of Anthony, frankly, and I don't like to, I don't love totally psychoanalyzing someone with whom I've been friendly for a long time, but I do think one of the great puzzles about him is to key in on something you said, Will. He is incredibly intelligent. And he is incredibly self-aware. And those two things don't always go, to, go together. He's both. I mean, and people will say I'm nuts when I say he's self-aware, but he really actually is very self-aware. And how that self-awareness sits alongside, like right alongside, snuggled up with this utter blindness <laughs> about the potential consequences of his behaviors and apparently a complete incapacity to control certain impulses. The, I mean, it just speaks to the really, really deep complexity of human beings that because he is really intelligent, really ambitious, really self-aware, um, and also, you know, compulsive and, and self-destructive, and, self-destructive and, and, and blind. You know, all of them, all of it together. He's really is, and I think the movie, one of the great strengths of the movie is it does capture him in that, in, in, its, in his totality. And with her, you know, she is a tragic figure in this movie. I think she maintains extraordinary degrees of composure and grace under pressure. And yes, I mean, I said before, you can see in some places her, her anger, her simmering anger. You can see her, her heartbreak yeah. and her humiliation. But there's not a moment in it where she seems like Lady Macbeth to me. Yeah. There's not a moment where she seems, you mean, there's a couple times when she kind of, you know, says things that any political person would say, you know, like, look, you know, make sure you smile, you know, yeah. like this is important for optics. But those are like, you know, just those are trivialities. And there's also in general, where- she does not come across as some crass opportunist manipulating the situation. She seems like really like a woman who is supporting her husband 
in a way that very, very few women, if their husbands did to them what Anthony did to her, would be anything like as supportive or have the kind of forbearance that she exhibits in almost every, every almost every frame, although they're not frames in this movie, right. but in almost every metaphorical frame of this film. I, I find it kind of astonishing. Particularly because, remember, you know, with the campaign, she was in te- integral to the campaign from the beginning right. because they, she needed to be out there. She had to be out there. She needed she, He needed to be able to point her to her and say, look, this woman who is awesome still loves me. Right. She still loves me and she's here and she's supporting me so we can all get through this together. She was, and she was key to it. And right. so the idea that she would agree to this and, and be key to the whole thing and have it go in the worst possible way and still not only keep her dignity, but also keep her family together is, it's amazing. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Do you think, let me ask you one, one last thing we should get, get on to Barbara in a second here, um, who I'm sure will be appearing magically in her chair momentarily, but um, let me just ask you about this. Do you think watching the behavior, one of the press is obviously the other big, mm-hmm. another big character in this film, and you know they're omnipresent and they you know play as they always do in campaigns, but in this one in particular, it's New York, et cetera. Do you do you take anything away? Did you watch this movie and think, God, the press is 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 uh, it, it conducts itself poorly, conducts itself well, conducts itself surprisingly? Is there anything about is there anything about the media element of this that 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 stands out for you in watching it? I think that in a perfect theoretical world they would do what Anthony wants them to do which is to focus on the issues and talk about what matters to the people of New York but the idea that that world was ever going to exist in that campaign so for me to uh, is just ludicrous and so the idea so certainly I wish that the press would have focused on what was important for the city of New York but let's not let's not be crazy <laughs> like right. the idea is Anthony Weiner who is known for this massive thing is running for for mayor it is quite reasonable yeah. that any press person would be like why should we trust you right why did you do this are you going to do this again particularly after he's told us that he's done right. and then comes out like the, there's not a question i would i might you know i might quibble a little bit with with some of the overtly not just confrontational, but performative questions that I felt right. like a lot of people yes, were asking. Right. Sure, sure. But the questions themselves, I don't, I, I think they were very fair to be. Yeah, I agree with that, especially since you know one of the things, and again we talked to Barbara about this, but like the, the fact that you know that 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 the things that reporters want, you know, and in the case like this, you know, you can't not want them, right? This is now, you know, this is a key to this guy's character and key to this guy's. Um, 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 the, 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 what, what, the issues of trust, as you said, and issues of veracity. The fact that the timeline and his inability to answer basic questions like, you know, when did this happen? Yeah. When did it start? When did it end? How many are there? Right. You know, the fact that those things even to this day, I mean, I'm not like a, I'm not like a, a PhD level scholar in wienerology, but to this day, I don't believe that people have ever like really gotten to precise answers to any of those questions. And, the and no one is, should know under the importance of that more than him. Right. Yes. yes. And so I think, you know, the press is pretty ferocious in this movie and is uh, certainly uh, omnipresent and, 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 you know, New York, uh, uh, New York reporters are more aggressive maybe than any reporters in the country. But I don't, I, you know, I looked for it thinking, oh God, you know, like there's going to be some horrific things yeah. and God knows, you know, you know, the, 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 I mean, the stuff with Sydney Leathers and the way in which she transforms herself from the, the way in which she kind of glories in what she claims to have been a victimization and then suddenly turns and then she you know, sells herself into a porn and star. And then is literally chasing him. Yes, and then right. is literally chasing him. But again, like the quick transformation of like, I'm going to sell him out, I'm going to out him, I'm going to claim that I'm a victim, and now I'm doing a porn film yeah. with a with a fictional version right. of Anthony Weiner. Is and just, then chase him on his concessions. Yes, I mean, there was a little bit of that in Jennifer Flowers, right? You know, I mean, it's not that's not new to this era. But again, 
again, the with the complete the admixture of social media and the the celebrity culture that that glorifies at least for a brief moment pretty much anyone right who can like kind of present themselves in a certain way and make themselves part of the story that's a little new right the tabloid culture has become everything in is some it ways. new or has it become nationalized now? well i think that's it that's that's what i mean that's that is yeah. what i mean what i mean is we've we had the tabloid tabloid culture for a long time in new york but it, right. it, yes but the way in which the way in which it can blossom and the number of platforms on which yeah. it can blossom and the way and the speed with which you can yeah. go from you know from point a to point z um, is quite staggering and, and you really see it in this movie in a in a pretty stunning way so, so um, go see it that's the point go wiener it. it's going to be it's, it's coming out today on friday and then it's on showtime the it's, Fri- it's, 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 it's i think it's a two-week run yes. and then i think it's uh it's going to be airing on showtime. right you got to see this movie if you're interested in politics at all and if you're interested in good documentaries and in particular if you're interested in both you got to see this movie i couldn't like i mean there's no one who will watch it and feel like you wasted the hour and a half that it, you what you what you, it is you spent one of it. two truly great documentaries we've seen this year and we may actually talk about the other one next week so oh that's gonna be really exciting that's you you're, you're talking oj right i'm talking oj okay yeah. so uh, will where can you like I know if, if you're listening to this podcast, you already know where to find it because you found it. But we should probably say, where can you find this podcast? Well, we encourage everyone to subscribe to it on iTunes and give us a nice review. Uh, there it makes it a lot easier for people to find it. You can also find it on SoundCloud and, of course, on BloombergPolitics.com. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to take a little break and we're going to bring in uh, Barbara Morgan and uh, we'll get into some of these issues in a little more depth. Brought to you by Oppenheimer Funds, the right way to invest. Explore long-term opportunities at oppenheimerfunds.com. And we're back with the 10th episode, the second half of the 10th episode of the Culture Caucus, Bloomberg Politics podcast on the intersection of politics and culture. I'm John Heilman. And I... And Will Leach. <laughs> you're still Will Leach. Even, after, the, even after that little intermission that we had, you're still Will Leach. That's awesome. I, I'm, I, we all change a little bit every day, but uh, me, I change a lot. I know. So um, this is the Wiener episode. We've been talking about Wiener, Wiener, mm-hmm. Wiener, nothing but Wiener all day long. Uh, and we're excited, thrilled, and lucky to have one of the stars. There, you know, There's Anthony Wiener, and there's Huma Abedin, who get a lot of screen time. But the, the person who gets the third most screen time in this movie is Barbara Morgan. Who's here with us? Hi, Barbara. Hi, Barbara. Hi, guys. How's it going? Good. How are y'all? We're great. Um, Barbara was the communications director, um, spokesperson, uh, high-level senior advisor to the Wiener for Mayor campaign, and is a big, as I say, the third most prominent and uh, character in the Wiener documentary. So she's got a lot of screen time, and I will say at the outset um, that. Uh, she comes across incredibly well in this movie um, as someone who is like facing a huge amount of pressure and a huge amount of turmoil and yet manages to maintain her grace and composure throughout. So congratulations for that, Barbara. Thank you. I appreciate it. You've seen the movie. I have seen the movie. So you are, so already you are the most you're the highest profile person in the movie who admits to having seen it. Yes. Because <laughs> no one else will because because they, Anthony Weiner says he's not seeing it and will not see it and I, I think Kuma I think she's staying out of it altogether. So but so you've actually so did you what was it like that when did you see it first what was the experience like uh, watching it? Um I saw it a couple months ago. Okay. Um I think that the experience is it's surreal obviously. Mm-hmm. Um it's you know we had we all lived this. It's quite another thing to then see it cut 
into the the snippets that it is. You know, you obviously have the gut reaction of, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I wore that outfit. What a terrible <laughs> outfit choice. That was stripes with that color. Gosh, what was I thinking? It looked so cute walking out the door. I'm clearly a moron. Um, but then it's also a, you know, it's, if you go back and, and think about the length of the campaign, it's about four months long. And anyone who works on campaigns um, can tell you that it, the days are very, very long, um, probably typically between at least 16 and 18 hours most days, um, typically seven days a week. If you get off one day a week or get a 10-hour day here and there, that's pretty great. So all in, you're probably looking at around you know, 2,000 hours that we worked. Um, and then you have a filmmaker who gets about 400 hours of footage, I think that he's mm. said in interviews that he's, doc- you know, that he had mm. documented. And then the movie's 90 minutes long. So, and half of that is cuts from other portions, like from the media's perspective and from other things. And you recognize that there's, wow, there's just so much else that happened during this time frame. But then it's also a fascinating perspective of what like was taken out to be able to tell, you know, a, a perspective on what happened during that time period. Totally. So did it feel, so having it truncated, not truncated, but edited together that way, but the way, did it still, did it feel like it got the heart still of what happened? I think that it, it I think it gets it to the heart of what the role and intersection is of um, media in the political process. I think that there's untold story, if you will, or, you know, of just the fact that the staff was a really incredibly talented, hardworking staff. And, and quite frankly, you know, Anthony did really, really great things during the campaign. I think that there was, there was a great focus by um, our team and Anthony on substantive issues um, and really focusing on that. People forget that after all this stuff happened, we still put out a second policy book, that the team still focused on that on a day-to-day basis, and there was still daily or every other day press conference where we focused on one of our ideas in a neighborhood where it would matter to constituents, and then that was still something that we were very focused on. Um, so yeah, so that doesn't necessarily go into it. It's about the, the questions that people want answered and, yeah, and but, what that looks like. Yeah, but I think like one of the things we talked about earlier is that I think one of the things that the movie does well is two things. One of the things that has two subpoints. One of which is that it, it is that I think the staff in general comes across really well. You come across well. And I think everybody comes across well. Like in under very trying circumstances, I think everybody comes across as like trying to stay focused on issues, trying to deal with um, a circumstance that they never anticipated being in or, or couldn't fully anticipate being in. Even though some of these things, you know, maybe were a little predictable. And then secondly, I think it also gets across the extent to which Anthony was like why he was a compelling talented figure that gives it gives a very good sense of his retail skills early in the movie it gives a sense of the way in which he connected with people like why why this guy was ever a promising figure to begin with so i think the movie actually part of the reason why it's good and i'm going to ask you in a second what you think of the movie itself but from our point of view i think when we were talking about it before that's part of why it's powerful right because it's not just he's a scumbag and he's a he's he's self-destructive and he's a lunatic but oh, this guy had a lot of chops and he had good people around him and yet he was also a ticking time bomb. So, but did, did you like, do you like this movie? Do you think this movie is a good movie? 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, I absolutely agree with you on all of your points about why it is a compelling movie. Um, I thought it was a from an objective standpoint when I could as remove much as it, right? Be, as right. you know, as much as I can remove myself from you know me cringing at my, the sound of my own voice, I I thought it was a great movie. I think it's because I think it's an inter like again, like I said, it's a really interesting take on how we consume information, the role of the media, um, and how campaigns and or politicians react in that space, right. as well as campaigns or politicians that have a fundamental flaw. Right. It is. It's it's a really interesting movie, and I think it was done really well. So let me, let's me let just step back for a second and just do like a little bit of, like, set you up a little bit here, right? <laughs> how did you get involved with the campaign? You had been doing what, and you were offered this job um, like, what was your background like leading up to when you were offered the job, and what did you see when you were offered it? What were the considerations that led you to take it, and maybe whatever your, if you had some reservations, what was on the pro side of the balance sheet, what was on the con side? Like, just take us back to that moment when you took the plunge. Yeah, that's a lot of questions, so I'm gonna take them one by one. Yeah, sure. Um, so I had previously been working um, doing communications in government um, with a focus in education, and I spent about six years doing that. And it, it actually happened over, quite frankly, a random conversation with a friend here in New York who mentioned to me that he heard Anthony was looking for a communications person. And it, as nerdy communications people do, they delve into the conversation about, oh my goodness, what a great communications challenge. Because if you lived in New York City, you, you know, you knew of Anthony and I, in my, in, in one of my roles working at the New York City Department of Education, I'd actually been the director of federal legislative affairs for a couple years. And so I interacted with his office. And when he was in Congress. When he was in Congress. Right. And I can say that they were both the most, they were the biggest pains, but also my favorite people to work with because their his his district team um, was they were they would not let anything go they were like we have a constituent issue we want to know about this we want to know about that how do we fix this and I found that you know both for my job slightly annoying because you know I'd already given them an answer seven times but they were engaged know, but they were engaged and I thought that that was a really great reflection of him as a representative that he like felt that this was you know because it's a clear directive coming from him that they were that engaged with their work and fixing the issues in for their constituents right. um so because of that, when this comes up, and obviously we had all watched it in 2011 um, when the scandal had happened and he'd resigned, and, you know, the idea of how do you take somebody who is really smart, really talented, has a lot of great potential, who constituents really like, and who went through this really, you know, a, you know, it is a scandal, a, you know, a, a bad decision, all of the things that went around with it, and is there a possibility through from a communications perspective to retell that story and from someone in our field that is you know that is what we do we we tell stories and we shape narratives and we get the points we get the points out that we think are really important and that was very interesting and you know and so it was just really just a conversation about that and you know my friend happened to say huh that's you know now that I'm thinking about it, maybe you might might be a really good fit for this. You'd been wanting to move into you know a more general sector anyway, um, and not only focus on education anymore. Um, 
maybe I should set you up for a call. And it was basically, it was a few phone calls with Anthony later and uh, a couple other conversations, and I had signed on board. So you had never done a campaign before, or you had done a campaign before? I hadn't done a campaign as like a, as a paid staff, right. or I'd volunteered. Right. Um, so this was, your, this was going to be your first, as a, as a communications professional, this was going to be your first campaign engagement, right? Mm-hmm. And. Did you, um, you know, in your various conversations with him, you know, obviously you know, one of the questions that anybody would have had was, um, or like many people I would expect you might have had was, this thing happened? Do I have anything to worry about yeah. in the future? Like Any how surprises? Much, how much self-vetting went on in terms of like people being candid with him and saying, Anthony, if there's other, if there are other incidents like this that we really need to know about them, I mean, was that discussed as you headed into the into the campaign? You know, and it's, it's funny, we did, um, there was a... After the campaign ended, after the general election in 2013, there was a, a roundtable with a, a number of staffers, and this question was actually brought up. And what was interesting is that if you go back and look, no one asked those questions because Anthony talked about it and said, I suspect there's other information out there that could come out. He said the same thing, and I think that so we both knew that, but it was, I think the difference here was simply... Um, the timeline that people didn't recognize that difference and right. so I think that we did ask those questions in a way during that roundtable in 2013 someone brought up the 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 John Edwards answer around you know how he had spoken about things that what if you didn't ask the exact question the answer was still the same thing and so yes there was still information out there so I think that we no, I didn't. And right. I, you know, and that's one of those things about asking questions about what, what are the type of questions that you need to ask? And I think that I probably err on the side of being the most annoying communications person ever um, now because I ask a lot of questions. Well, what does this mean for you? What does, you know, what is the impact on this? What's your objective? What are you trying to get out of this? You know, and give me the timeline, give me the breakdown. What, did, you know, when did this happen? When did, you know, in, in certain circumstances, because I think it's really important now to have that information in order to tell the whole story. Right. So, you, so let me just ask this mm-hmm. question and then I'm going to turn you over to Will. But like, in, so in the abstract, you knew like that Anthony had said, well, you know, this the, the things that people know are about from the scandal are not the only things. There may be other things out there, but you, so you knew in the abstract there might be a problem that could pop up, but you assumed it would be something that would be contextualized by saying, this all happened before the scandal. This was all back then. That's ancient history. You didn't litigate like a litigator with him about like, let's have a really like, you know, like detailed discussion of exactly what the timeline is, which is, you know, ended up being obviously a huge problem, right? That's and it the, happens in the movie. Yeah, like, that's right. <laughs> there's the scene in the movie where like you're trying to nail him down on when you're in the car and you're trying to nail down, okay, so how many are there? When are they? And, and he, he seems to even be giving you vague answers. I'm wondering if there's even a question of this, of the idea that he really thought, did they really think going into this that they were done with that? Or that, like after because you know this by is, they by they you mean Anthony and Huma by Anthony and Huma and really the whole campaign yeah right. and 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 along those lines too, you know there's this sense in the movie where things seem to be going really well and like you guys get over the hump and did it feel like at that point that it was behind you that it was over that that part of dealing with the Wiener story was was done. 
I think so. I think that we we knew going into it that it was going that we were going to have to you know this immediate you know the immediate conversations were going to be about that, and then how do you then pivot back to what we wanted to talk about, which were the issues that were facing people in New York City and the things that they actually wanted to focus on. Um, and so yeah, we did feel like we got to a point where we were on a day to day basis. That's what we were actually focusing on, um, which for a campaign that was based around ideas and issues um, that felt really good to us and it felt like Anthony says in the movie you know thought things were going pretty well there for a moment you know I mean I think that that's you know I think we all felt that way you know there was a lot of momentum and we felt good about where we were the initial study you see in the film when the first story comes out and there's this Cindy Leathers thing and all sort of, or that woman or, or whatever the nickname they have for her in the movie I forgot pineapple pineapple yes um, when, when you see her come up there's a sense of shock and but also, did you see this as a media problem or did you see this as a fundamental? Is this a, we need to spin this the right way or did you see that immediately as this a potentially mortal threat to the campaign? I, I, I can be really honest and say I don't know if there was that high level of thinking at the moment. Yeah. I honestly think that at the moment it was, as the head of communications, you are then faced with both the day-to-day of we're still running a campaign, and so we still have to do Facebook posts of our visits to senior centers. We still have to do all this. I still have to approve all copy for that. Um, I still need to have like you know my team doing that as well as setting up, making our poster boards every day and making sure our graphs are correct for the press conferences we're going to do, as well as deal with the incoming hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails from the media um, around this issue too. So it became very much... How do I do all of these things at all, all at once? And I think the staff was doing that too. And we were really just trying to keep the trains moving um, as opposed to saying, let's have these higher level thoughts about whether or not this is going to put us in a position where we are never going to be able to recover or can we keep moving as well as deal with this in uh, in the same time. Right. One of the things Will and I talked about earlier is um, the, the behavior of the press. It's New York City, right? There is no more intense... Um, that's one word to put it. Intense, ferocious, operatic, um, sometimes skeevy kind of press environment in any, I I don't know of one that's more any of those things. Boise, Boise's close. Right, Boise, Boise, apart from the the local municipal press in Boise, Idaho, um, this is the most, this is the craziest. So just, just reflect on that for a moment, right? You had to deal with the press day in, day out, national press, local press. Just if, as you think back on it, what were the, the elements where you think the behavior of the press was most irresponsible and where the press was most responsible? Because in some ways, it strikes me that, you know, beyond the usual New York press scrums and people just behaving like assholes, like on a kind of like just like micro level. It didn't seem to me that there were like there were incidents captured in the film, at least, where the press was like really wildly out of line. Although I'm sure there are places where they were because it's New York City and, and it's must just have kind of inevitable. Way, I'm sure. So yeah, so like just well like what was you, just describe your interaction with the press corps and where you thought like they fell down on the job and where you thought they actually were kind of responsible if there were any instances where that was the case. Um, so I want to say first, I think that I have great respect for the New York City press corps. I think that they have really hard jobs. I think that the pressure that's put on in this media market is very different than every other. I absolutely recognize that they have jobs to do and they you know I you know. 
know I consider an, a great number of them friends and that the we also respect the fact that when I have on my work hat and they have on their work hat that that is you know you try to compartmentalize um, but I have great respect for them I think that they do a great job on the whole um, on a regular basis I think that there is also the, the reality of the business, which is you sell your content and therefore your content has to be the content that gets the most clicks, that sells the most papers. Um, and so you have to find the angle, the scoop, the headline that does that. And that leads to a lot of times... A um, lot of wiener jokes is what that leads to. <laughs> right. I mean, well, there's that. But mm -hmm. um, I think that it's also about um, chasing information that is absolutely untrue. I spent a lot of my time trying to prove a negative, which was, this is absolutely not true. And yet I can't prove it because I don't... There's no proof to prove it. Because Physically impossible. Right? It is actually impossible like in this world to be able to prove it. And um, having to do that on a regular basis is, is, is very tiring um, I think that it's it just it takes a lot of energy um, that was I think one of the the things that I felt was most egregious that happened regularly right. and it was chasing things down because I had to be able to even sure. try to prove something I and or my staff took a you know I love cameramen but like man I took way too many cameras in the head um, <laughs> I think that I you know I think if the if there were any I see a couple you know, I see a couple like I, lasting uh, dents dude, in I have like a, I, I, I know I have some really good scars but you know I think you know I think that it's stuff like that it's just about I recognize that this you know and, and in those moments when you're in those scrums like I get that this is your job but that doesn't mean you have to be rude to right. me I think that there's still a level of decorum that people should try to try to maintain um, that wasn't always there but, um, but let me just ask you this just because I think this gets to the core of the question right as you said a second ago no doubt I'm sure you spent a lot of your time trying to prove a negative being going down rabbit holes that you know the press were making accusations that were based on very little it seems to me that the, the fundamental problem for a communications professional in your situation at that moment is that you're working for someone who has done this kind of egregious thing and then is perceived, not inaccurately, to have kind of lied about it, right? And so the question that comes up in the movie, often you hear a number of reporters ask this question to Anthony. It's like, well, how can we ever trust you again? You know, you said this oh, was it part was it, this was an isolated thing. It was in the past. Now it turns out it's not really in the past and it's not really an isolated thing. How, how can we possibly ever believe? Why, how can the voters ever possibly trust you again? And that's a, a big, huge, important political question. But also for the person who's being his representative in the press, it's part of why you can't really just say, I, it would seem to me, well, of course, that's obviously untrue. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to even dignify that with an answer because... At this point, it's like, well, really, why? Like, you know, you're not going to dignify that with an answer. You're not going to. How is that? Why is that obviously untrue? You have the problem of having to represent someone who about whom there are fundamental questions about their judgment and about their honesty. Right. And I think that that's, you know, that was something that in that scene where I uh, I say I think that those were regular conversations that we had like with the scene in the car where I said well I think that we have to say this because of you know because of this and I think that that's something that as a professional you know I will blame myself for on that campaign the idea that um, at some point didn't say all right stop we have to get you know, we have to answer exactly like this in this way because this will be what stops the questions. I think that the not knowing about 
what will actually, you know, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. you have no idea. The New York Post and the Daily News are still going to continue to ask those same questions, regardless of what you say, and you'll still be continuing to fight those battles. I think that as a professional, I will say that was probably my responsibility to say, let's put a pin in this right here, where we need to get everything answered right now, um, so that all the questions just keep asking the same thing as opposed to, but wait, we still need to know this and still need to know this so that we get that answer of, you know, why should we believe you? Because, because I've told you, this is, this is, this is what it is. And I think that people just felt like there was still like a, a, a t- like that there was still, there was still tension in terms of trying to get those answers. And that, that was probably my fault if I, you know, if I said like those first two days to take that time to do that. Um, but you know, I think that that's something that, you know, you can look back and say, I wish I'd done it this way, and right. I wish I'd done well, it this way. you know, another factor in this, too, and one thing that there's been a lot of speculation because of Huma, because of Huma and because of her connection with the Clintons, and is there is for two things. One, is it harder to ask those questions when the spouse is such an integral part of the campaign? She's clearly very, pretty involved. She has a lot of political history. He even talked about how one of the reasons that he ran was to get their life back to normal and get her back in the political arena. And two, so uh, on, I'm curious about that, and I'm also curious about, there's been a lot of speculation about, but you know, the Clintons in the movie are like, the Clinton, Clinton world, Hillary world, is like this quiet, like every once in a while, uh, you'll get a call from the campaign and they'll pop in. But on the whole, they're they're more just kind of watching what's going on. So I guess my two questions are, one, were they involved at all? Did you have any interaction with them? And two, is it harder to have those conversations that you need to have because because the wife is such a big part of the campaign? I'll start with the second question Mm -hmm. because I think that it speaks to me having not worked in this role on a campaign Mm -hmm. before. I don't know if that's any different or any, you Mm -hmm. know, if, if that's what that looks like. I think that there are... You know, from my friends who have worked on campaigns, there's typically somebody who's assigned to the spouse um, and that that is actually something they, you know, direct the role of that person. Um, Not that different from, I think, the other campaigns um, that were happening, you know, in the city um, or, you know, the other candidates Mm -hmm. in the city. Um, I think that it was expected that she would have a role um, and that she would be involved in some way, um, depending on other obligations that she had at the time. Um, And that's how we treated it. my perspective and my experience, it wasn't difficult to have those types of conversations Mm. because candidates have opinions. um, Obviously, their spouses have opinions because it's also their life, right? It's, you know, it's not just, you know, when you're running for public office, it's not just that person's life. It's the, it's the family's life too. And so we fully expected her to have an opinion, but also she happens to be brilliant and she has great perspective on how to deal with, you know, long slogs of campaigns. She's lived that too. Um, she is the spouse to the candidate. She has great insight on the things that matter to him that might not be apparent to me right away. But then, oh, you said that. That makes sense, actually. Oh, that's interesting. That's a different way to approach this. Um, to the first question, no. I mean, we were, you know, we were running a campaign in New York City that, you know, most people... First of all, most people in New York City during uh, uh, during a primary in the middle of the summer aren't paying attention, much less anybody else in the rest of the world. So, no, um, I think it was we had our team and we were focused on that. And that's what we were doing on a day to day basis. So let, let, let me just just because it came up just now and we're almost done with our we're almost out of time here. But like, I just want to unpack part of Will's question, you know, to me watching the movie, one of the most striking things that is said is when Anthony says this thing relatively early in the film where he says that part of the reason that he 
um, decided to launch this campaign was because he was trying to do right by Huma, right? He says, essentially, I was trying to get my life back to normal, and normal for me is politics. And so, like, and the reason I was trying to get my life back to normal was because, you know, I was doing, again, that was a, a huge part of the objective, at least as he describes it in the movie, was to normalize their lives and that the way to do that was to run for office again, right? Which, to me, is like a, a huge element underlying part of what Huma's role in the movie is, which is, I think, is a very kind of tragic figure throughout the movie. You see her with being humiliated and, and having the incredible, I think, grace and stoic kind of um, dignity throughout the movie. There are some incredibly painful scenes of, of her uh, as these very, as the new scandals erupt. But I think, again, she comes across very well, I think, in the movie. But there's this tragic undercurrent because, on some level he decides to run for mayor because he's trying to get his life back to normal for her and then subjects her to all of this further indignity as this goes on. So I guess my question there is just simply to say, was that, was that known to you at the time? Like, did you understand why Anthony was running for mayor, that that was part of it? Or when you saw that in the movie, did you say, wow, like that's really part of why he decided to do this? So I think that just from a perspective, just as, you know, a human in the world, <laughs> Um, As we all are, at uh, least semi. Speak for yourself. I don't know. I don't know about this one. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll decide later. Um, I think that that doesn't strike me as something so so out there. I also think the, rela- the, the movie is about relationships in a very interesting way, about the idea of this, this couple going through something on a public scale, unknown to anyone, right, that they'd already gone through and dealt with in their private lives earlier. Right. And they'd done that already, and they had worked through it and got to a point where they felt okay about him running for mayor again. Um, I think that the idea of him doing it to, for her and all that stuff, like, I think that that sort of makes sense if you just think about it from a perspective of having experienced great loss, if you will, that they wanted to get back to a day-to-day that felt like them again and that felt like what had been their prior and i think that that's isn't that what everyone does when they when when big things happen when when it is when tragic things happen in people's lives when there are you know when you lose a family member when people go through really difficult divorces when people like lose jobs these are all things that it is a how do you how do you right the ship, if you will, and get back on course. And what what are the things that you need to do to make that feel like that again? It's less about the, I'm getting back into politics, and more about the, how do I get our, us back to a space that feels like us again? And I think for that, that doesn't seem that, that doesn't seem that out there to me. I think that that just seems like something that, that people do in order to continue on with their day-to-day lives. Because they, they have the right for to that, just like everybody else does, to continue to live their life after they've gone through something and weathered that storm together. I'm wondering, would you like to run another mayoral campaign after this? You know, I, I, I think I want to go buy a puppy and <laughs> take puppies to the park for a little while and, and uh, you know, and name it Tyrone. So let's no, go I, find you, you could get, I think you could get like a dachshund. 
and name it Wiener. Oh, well, no. that's very funny. Good joke. Okay. Way to end it on a, yeah. on a high note. I groan every time. It's a cheap, it's a cheap. Every time. Good job, guys. Good job. Oh, look at me. Point at him, man. I groan at that every time. Wiener dog. This is like a comedy hour over here. Hey, look, Wiener dog. Come here, Wiener dog. Oh, Wiener. I want a rescue dog. A little a little rescue dog. I want a rescue from his Wiener dog jokes. I know, me too. Let's cut this. I am. I'm just too puerile for my own good. Yeah. Well, what do you think people will walk away from the movie thinking? I think that if people go into the movie um, looking for an answer about why this happened, um, they're probably going to be disappointed. I think that there isn't necessarily an answer that's going to satisfy people with on on that front. I think that it's. Um, I think it's more of a perspective. I think it's more of a movie to challenge your own perspective on why things happen and whether or not. It, the information that is provided to you through the media is um, ever going to be enough, you know, because sometimes the why just isn't ever there because you have in your mind a sense of this is the only why of what will make sense to me. It's why people kept asking questions about, you know, do, do, do you think you need to go to therapy? Do you need to do these things? Because that's what makes sense to them. What is it? It's, you know, rationalism versus empiricism and, you know, Kant's world or whatever about how he talks about things. But it uh, is. That's the first time anybody know, has ever cited think, Immanuel uh, Kant on this, on this show. So that's kind of I'm awesome. really up in the game here. Yeah, guys. really. Seriously. I'm making wiener jokes and you're citing Kant. I know. Okay. But that's can, the whole Can you point do the rest of the podcast with me? Yeah. To John. But, but, <laughs> but that's on. the point is that it makes, you know, that there are, you know, we view the, you know, we. We come to decision, you know, to, to conclusions based on both our experience and then actual information, right? The the idea of all these things combined in some algorithm, um, and I think that if if people are only going to come to the conclusion based on like this medical thing is going to make sense to me versus oh my goodness, I've experienced something where I just can't explain why it right. happened, and I right. but I accept it as such. You know, that's where people are going to come out on it. And I think that that's sort of, that's what I would say, that you're not going to get an answer necessarily that satisfies everybody. It's a great note to end on. Um, And thank you, Barbara, for, again, thank you for coming and thank you for saying those things. I think, you know, like, Will, I will say, you know, just to put a button on this. I think the thing about what the movie opens today Mm -hmm. uh, on Friday... uh, May 20th and uh, anybody who's interested in politics and campaign should see it it's fantastic as we said earlier in the and, podcast and it'll be on Showtime I think in like three or four weeks right like, yeah. right. so you'll have a lot of people different possible places to go see this movie but I think it's interesting Barbara makes brings up a really relevant point which is that it's not a, it's it's not if, if, if you're it's not a psychological character study of Anthony Weiner and, and, and there's a lot of revealing uh, material Revealing in the sense of you see in a very candid, very raw way what it was like for Anthony to go through this thing, put himself through this thing, put everyone else through this thing. But you don't walk away thinking, oh, now I understand why Anthony Weiner was this way. It's not a study of the psyche. It's more a study of the chaos of a campaign that is in a, an acute and maybe even uniquely acute kind of meltdown because of its uh, principle and many campaigns have gone through moments of crisis and so there's some insight that is more generalizable from that again this is a very unique experience because there's not really any campaign that's ever been like this one but it's more about the culture of a campaign and more about the culture of crisis and understanding what that looks like from inside the maelstrom than it is like inside Anthony Weiner's brain 
but no less interesting or valuable for anybody who cares about this kind of thing because you don't ultimately walk away with, oh, now I understand Anthony Weiner. Here's Rosebud. You know, or, yeah, or, it's, and I think it's a better movie because of it. That's it for this episode of uh, Culture Caucus. Uh, I'm still amazingly John Heilman. And I'm Will Leach. I'm going to go get Barbara Morgan a rescue dog. You are a much nicer person than me. <laughs> uh, and we are uh, thrilled to have been here. Uh, we'll be back with you next time. We'll, we'll be talking about uh, another incredible piece of docu- uh, documentary filmmaking uh, in episode 11 of the, uh, the Culture Caucus, which is OJ Made in America, the new uh, epic, incredible, multi, multi-part, seven-and-a-half-hour documentary on uh, the life and times of O.J. Simpson, race, policing, the trial, uh, Los Angeles, everything you can possibly imagine in uh, one of the more extraordinary pieces of long-form documentary we've ever seen. We'll talk about that next time on the Culture Caucus. For now, so long. Bye, everybody. Brought to you by Oppenheimer Funds, the right way to invest. Explore long-term opportunities at oppenheimerfunds.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher-level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.